welcome to The Happy Writer. This is a podcast that aims to bring readers more books to enjoy and to help authors find more joy in their writing. I am your host, Marissa Meyer. Thank you so much for joining me. What is making me happy this week? And I'll admit, I'm not entirely sure that I'm supposed to be talking about it, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. Uh, is that yesterday I got to have a Zoom meeting with the writers who have been tasked with adapting the Lunar Chronicles for a TV series. And it was a fantastic meeting and I love them and I love their ideas and I am so giddy and excited and hopeful. Uh, People who've been following along for a while know that this is not my first time here at the Hollywood Rodeo. This is the fourth studio that has optioned the rights to turn the Lunar Chronicles into a movie or a TV series. And I'll admit I was starting to feel a tad bit jaded and a little cynical, but I just got a great feeling yesterday. So trying not to jinx it, but I wanted to share with you guys that things are happening behind the scenes and just keep sending all your good thoughts and good vibes and fingers staying tightly, tightly crossed uh, that it is going to happen this time. I hope, I hope, I hope. So yay, making me super happy right now. Of course, I am also so happy to be talking to today's guest. A former youth librarian, she has a bachelor's in creative writing and a graduate diploma in library and information management. She's the author of Lake's Edge and its sequel, Forest Fall, which is coming out tomorrow. Please welcome Lyndall Clipstone. Hi, thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited to be talking with you. Thank you so much for joining me all the way from Australia. I appreciate you getting up early to do our interview today. That's okay. (laughs) Um, And also, uh, the day that this is going up live, September 26th, you just told me is your birthday. So happy, happy early birthday. Thank you. I love that I get to have my second book coming out the day after my birthday. That feels like a really fun birthday present. (laughs) That is a really fun coincidence. Uh, What are you going to do to celebrate? Like That feels like it calls for... I don't know, just tons of cake and champagne and fun things. Like, do you have any plans for it? I haven't actually planned yet because I've been so busy sort of preparing for Forest Falls release, I think. But cake and champagne sounds like a really good idea. I think I might have to (laughs) go to one of my favorite (laughs) local bakeries and get a really fancy cake. (laughs) Yes, I hope you do. And post it on Instagram and you deserve to celebrate. People don't celebrate enough. So the first question that I love to ask all of my guests is that I would love to hear your origin story. What brought you to this place here having your second book about to come out? Um, So I've always been one of those people who loved reading and writing and telling stories, but it wasn't until kind of later on in my life that I really sort of felt ready to pursue writing a book with the intention of you know, even showing it to anyone other than myself. 
or trying to get it published because even though I did like a creative writing degree at university and really loved it, I was always very daunted by the thought of rejection and how scary it was to put myself out there. So I kind of was a very like secret aspirational hobby writer. I used to just write things for fun and never show them to anybody. But um, after I had both my children and my work contract ended, I found myself as a stay-at-home mom again. And I sort of thought about going back to university, but I didn't get into the degree that I applied for. And I was so annoyed that I couldn't um, go because I'd applied to do a master's in creative writing with thought that I'd go back and maybe focus on trying to write a novel. And then when I didn't get in, I was so annoyed that I'm like, I don't need your help to write a book. I can do it myself. So I guess that was my motivation to finally sit down and try to do it. <laughs> I feel like spite and anger and all of that sort of thing is that maybe it's like a villain origin story. <laughs> so that was what sort of spurred me to finally write what became Lake's Edge. And yeah, I've been really fortunate to find lots of wonderful champions, including our shared agent, Jill, who's been a wonderful supporter of my books. Yes, no, of, I know. We're yeah. agency sisters. I love that too. I know. <laughs> I'm like kind of, I guess they're like publisher siblings a little bit because we're both at Macmillan US too. So Oh, it's I so forgot funny. about that part. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Which um imprint are you with? So I'm with Henry Holt, but my editor's from Faywell and Friends, which is, so I'm kind of just all over the place. Um, my original editor left just before Lake Fudge came out and they lent me a wonderful editor from Faywell and Friends who I've loved so much and she's been able to keep working with me. So oh, it's good. been really good. Yeah. So I feel really fortunate that I found such wonderful supporters and that I've had the opportunity to write a series of two books and the second one's just about to come out. Yeah. No, I, and I do want to backtrack a little bit because I love your little inclusion of that, like that little bit of spite and like that little bit of determination <laughs> of like, well, I'll show you. Um, because it doesn't, I'm surprised that that doesn't come up in more origin stories because I also have, there was like a teacher who, was not very supportive of my writing when I was in um I would have been early high school and had made like a snarky comment at one point and that one comment like fueled me for years like <laughs> I will show you <laughs> and so I, I I think that a lot of us actually do have that that moment of like having something to prove and it can be it can be really encouraging I think so too yeah this is sort of like I had so much self-doubt and so much self-rejection, but then being faced with like that external rejection where I got quite far along in the process where like I had supervisors lined up and I'd done the application. And then at the very last moment, the university was like, oh, we don't have anyone to supervise your project. Sorry. Mm. Um, and I, I was just so annoyed and I'm like, no, you're not going to hold me back from this. So I yeah. think maybe sometimes having somebody try to, stop you from doing what you want to do is like a really good motivator to prove to yourself that you can do it. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, and of course you did, you wrote your book, who needs them? Clearly we did exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Lake's Edge came out and now the sequel Forest Fall is coming out. Uh, would you tell listeners a little bit about this series? 
So Lakeside is the story of a girl called Violetta Graceling who goes with her younger brother who can work a mysterious dark alchemical magic to stay at Haunted Lakeside Estate. And when she meets Rowan Sylvanen, the monster of Lake Sedge, and finds out that he's cursed, she decides to make a bargain with the Lord of the Dead to try and save him. And then in Forest Fall, um, it's following the consequences of letters, a very, perhaps not particularly well thought out, self-sacrificing decisions as she has to try and figure out where to go from what her choices were in book one. And it also has um, Rowan as a point of view character, which was a lot of fun to write. And I really loved getting to explore his story a lot more. I really love that too. And I definitely want to talk about that. But first, uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about is just like a little bit of your inspirations, because I just thought it was so romantic and had such great drama such great world building and magic and just like the setting of it all is very gloomy and dark and I just everything about it I really really enjoyed uh so the first thing I want to ask you about is some of your inspirations because I felt like for me, at one point in reading Lake's Edge, I was getting tons of like Beauty and the Beast vibes. And then with Forest Fall, I felt like, oh, I'm getting lots of Hades and Persephone vibes from this story. And I was wondering if that was intentional or where that kind of came from. Yeah, I think it was intentional in that I've always really, really loved fairy tales. I've always really, really loved like, especially sort of dark, you know, Grimm's fairy tales, Angela Carter retelling mm -hmm. type fairy tales. And I've always been very fascinated with the myth of Hades and Persephone since I was first taught it by a school librarian, actually, when I was quite young um, for... I think they were teaching us about Greek myths. And I remember being so fascinated by the story of Hades and Persephone, even before I could really understand all the nuances of it. I think my original takeaway from it was as a girl who was often in trouble and not perfect and prone to making a lot of headstrong, foolish decisions, much like Violetta, I loved hearing about a heroine who kind of made not a particularly great choice and then had like the fallout of it become her becoming this very powerful beloved figure that was the takeaway that I had when I first heard the story and I think something about that dynamic stuck with me through my life and when I was writing a story I really loved the idea of playing with the playing with the power balance and the strong sort of female character centered in the story to see where it would go mm -hmm. so yeah so I think that was sort of I always really wanted to write something that had like a very fairy tale feel to it I really loved reading books that had really beautiful prose and that's always been kind of a goal for me as an author is I think my number one thing when I started writing Lake Sedge was I wanted to write a book that people would pick up and read and feel like it was beautiful which is a very amorphous sort of thing but I wanted people to read it and feel like my prose was beautiful and so I wanted it to feel like a fairy tale very cinematic very romantic and immersive so yeah no and I I like hearing that that was kind of an intentional plan or something that you really were 
aiming to do. Um, because I think that a lot of times, even for me, I mean, I am a writer, so like I understand how writing works and revision and editing and all this. And yet there are still sometimes when I read a book where the prose and the language is just so beautiful. And even for me, it's hard sometimes not to feel like, oh, this writer just, they're just have it. Like they, they just have this amazing talent from the universe to be able to write such beautiful prose. And so I liked hearing that for you, it was like something that you really were intentional about and really focused on creating. I think the prose side is definitely, it is intentional, but it's also my favorite thing to refine. Like I really... My favorite stage of revisions is kind of later stage, sort of maybe line edits, copy edits, where there's still the room to move a lot of things around in the text and I can just go through and often I read the chapters out loud to myself and just really fall in with like picking the right word choices and how the rhythm of the scene feels when it's read and how you know, like adding in these tiny little details of like the lighting or the smells or what somebody is wearing and making it very polished and atmospheric. So I really love that part. That part is the prose sort of side of things is definitely my favorite thing as an author. Yeah. Do you do anything specific to try to like get in that frame of mind? Like, do you have a woodsy candle that you burn or do you like turn out all the lights and write by candlelight or do do, do anything along those lines I do as much as I can I have two school-age children so by necessity there's a lot of writing when I get the chance which I'm sure you can emphasize with because I know that you've got two kids as well very much so (laughs) On an ideal day, it's really lovely to have like a beautiful ritual. And then other times I'm just writing at the kitchen table while everybody's in chaos around me. So yeah, but I do love to have a candle burning. I have a deck of like Oracle cards where I'll often choose one before I start a writing session to kind of set my focus. Um, I love that. I, I was revising a lot through the winter here and we have an old house with open fireplaces. So I would sit usually in my bedroom. I would be in my bedroom um, with the door closed and the fireplace going while my kids were in the other room doing things with my partner. And I could just sort of get into my, my writing cave. I think with Forestville especially, I felt really like a need to sort of pull back from the world while I was writing it because it was the first book I'd written under contract and it was really really cool writing a book knowing that it was going to be read by readers it was a very different feel to writing Lake Sedge which was the book that I queried with so Mm. when you're working on a book and you're like will an agent ever want this will anyone ever read this will it ever become a real book it's a real like privilege to be writing a book and knowing that you don't have to ask yourself those questions. But at the same time, it was really hard to turn out the voices worrying like, what are readers going to think of this? Are people going to like this choice that I've made? And I am trying to unhear like, because reviews of like Fudge had started to come in and I'd un- been able to see some of them partly because people tagged me in them. And also because like, I was very bad at self-control and couldn't help <laughs> looking, which I'm getting better at now. Um, And it was just, I really had to make a very intentional choice to really seclude myself and just commit to writing the book that I wanted to read and 
making choices about the story that made me happy with the acknowledgement that not everybody was going to feel the same way. And Mm. that's fine because you can't write a book that everybody is going to love because no two people are ever going to interpret something the same. Yeah. No, and that is a difficult lesson to learn. And I don't know, sometimes I feel like I'm still learning that lesson. Like it can be really hard to stay focused on your own vision for the story and the things that you personally would love to see happen to these characters and in this world. And it can be really hard to tune out the the outside voices from that. It it, it takes practice. Yeah, I think it's definitely like an ongoing thing that I well I maybe probably all authors have to work on it constantly and also there's so much like social media is such a blessing and a curse because I love how it's built this beautiful sense of community and I'm able to sort of engage with my wonderful readers and other authors but then sometimes it does feel a little bit like a lot of noise and a lot of distraction and I struggle a lot with trying very hard not to compare myself to other people or feel like a lot of self-doubt so definitely like taking a big step back and kind of burying myself in my writing cave with a fancy candle and a big cup of tea and the fireplace in winter was a really good way to try and keep myself focused I am so jealous I want to come to your writing cave it sounds so (laughs) idyllic (laughs) so I am also curious you mentioned sometimes using oracle cards um and I, I also like I keep a deck of tarot cards in my desk and I'll pull them out once in a while. Um, and I'm wondering if there's ever been something in the card that then like actually infiltrated the story in some way. Um, Actually a little bit. So I have this really beautiful tarot deck called the Ostara Tarot. And it's got um work by artists like Julia Iredale and um, Eden Cook. So really beautiful, like whimsical sort of fairy tale type art and one of the cards which is actually like the illustration that's on the cover of the deck is this girl who's got sort of like a moth mask on wearing this beautiful elaborate gown and I think some of the styling of the characters there was also a card in there that was like a girl with red hair holding a candle in like a sort of a field of flowers that reminded me a lot of Violetta so I think the illustrations on them was quite inspirational yeah in that but I don't know I think for me like the oracle cards or tarot cards is always more about refocusing myself and I often like I'll pull out a card and be like what message do I need to hear today or what's like a card that will set the the tone of today and it will always be things like self-care don't doubt yourself like Mm -hmm. you know stick with like your path like you know like it's always sort of like a message that I kind of need to hear and I love that I get that reinforcement I mean it's so open like the way that I read tarot is probably I'm no expert but I like sort of using it as a way to kind of clarify your own thoughts already or your own feelings so yeah it's definitely been a lovely way to refocus myself especially when I'm feeling quite overwhelmed like taking a moment to sort of journal and do like a three card tarot spread for myself is always a really lovely time out ritual when I get a chance yeah no I completely agree um and it sounds like you and I use tarot in very much the same way um it's I I again I it's been a while since I've pulled out my cards but uh I always enjoyed just that it was a little break in the day and a way to kind of 
think about, okay, what am I feeling and what am I thinking and what do I need to be tuned into right now? And it, it always was really helpful, I felt. Yeah, I think it's just nice to have like a moment of pause. And I think it's really easy to get caught up in, well, at least for me anyway, and sort of the spiraling thoughts, especially when I'm in the midst of either working on revisions for a book or like at the moment where I'm in the middle of promoting a book where I get in my own head quite a lot. Mm -hmm. So having like a little break and a moment to refocus and doing something that isn't mindlessly scrolling on my phone is always a lovely (laughs) idea too. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, And then you also talked about how Forest Fall in particular, you felt like you kind of needed more of that separation from the real world, which to me makes so much sense given that, you know, obviously avoiding spoilers here, but a fair amount of the book actually takes place in the underworld, which I loved. And I thought that the descriptions of the world were so creative and so unique. And I just loved kind of the entire vibe of this this extra world that you created for us. Where did that come from? Were you drawing on any like existing mythologies or how did you go about creating the that part portion of the world um so I think it was the religion of the book I because everything in the book there's quite a lot of duality there's sort of you know like light dark the lady and the lord on the life and death and this sort of blurry kind of borderland in between of crossing over so I wanted to create a world that felt sort of like an inversion of the world above which is why I liked the description of it having no sky because it's kind of like this underground forest kind of world where it very much feels like a like a below kind of space and I think a little bit I drew on so near where I grew up in the Adelaide Hills, there was a pine plantation and I used to love going and playing in the forest and walking around between all of the pine trees. And for anyone who's ever walked in like a pine forest, that sort of whispery way the wind goes through the leaves, it's just, it always really sort of stayed with me. And I think I wanted to use my feelings about those places in creating the forest of the world below. Mm-hmm. but I'm trying to think about other things I think a big inspiration for both books was the film Labyrinth because mm, I I've that's told why you that I like it so much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there's like I've talked about this with another author friend um and how I feel like there's this whole generation of authors who grew up like watching that movie and have gone on to write very like Goblin King inspired type books but yeah I really love the idea of this alternate world and I think in the film how there's like all of these like little touches from her real life that appear in the labyrinth and it's this idea of like what kind of landscape would your mind build if you were making the world out of you know like if it's a vision or if it's real so I like that a lot and also I think another big inspiration was Pan's labyrinth which is another labyrinth Mm -hmm. thing especially the the scene where Ophelia goes down like the big spiral staircase into the sort of the room that's below the forest. I think I really like the idea of there being this kind of like passageway between 
the real and the unworld or like the un the real and the unreal or the waking world and the dream world and this sort of blurred border of perception and the way that Rowan is connecting with it as well. It was just, I, I think as somebody who's studied Gothic literature and someone who's a big fan of the Gothic and the sort of idea of like the uncanny or liminal spaces, it was a really, really fun thing for me to explore. Yeah. No, and then of course it plays so well into the romance storyline. And this is these are very much romantic books. The the romance is very much kind of at the center of the story. And you've pretty much got like my top two favorite romantic tropes. We've got a little bit of the enemies to lovers in book one. And then in book two, suddenly they're like star-crossed lovers. And it's like, how <laughs> how will they ever possibly overcome the obstacles that have been set before them? And I I just loved it. I, I felt like a teenager again reading these stories. Um, so talk to me a little bit just about how do you approach romance just in general? I've always loved romantic stories. I think even as like a younger reader, um, my mom was a very avid reader and she would often share like adult sort of novels with me. And we were both really big fans of that sort of like late eighties science fantasy fiction, like Jean um, Owl's book, the clan of the cave bear series. And um, I think I grew up just reading fantasy romance has always been a genre that I've always been really, really drawn to. And after I had my children, I didn't read for a very long time because I just didn't have time, which was really sad because when I was a librarian, I was such an avid reader because I was exposed to so many books. I'd be returning books and I'd see one and I'd be like, oh, that looks good. I'll borrow it. Mm-hmm. And then I just had no time. And why I fantasy romance books were sort of the thing that got me back into reading so I remember someone recommended Winter Song to me Mm. and I picked that up and then I also read A Court of Thorns and Roses which was like I feel like that's the perfect book to read when you have a new baby and you haven't read a book in years because it was just (laughs) like the perfect escape and the perfect like big emotions and I just really fell in love with reading stories where it made you feel so much and it helped me like I said like you said about feeling like a teenager when you read it I love that because tapping into that feeling of being a teenager um that time in your life when all of your feelings feel so big and vital and I still feel like such a strong connection to that time in my life when I was a very avid reader and would read like a lot of sort of romantic dark books so I think I wanted to connect with that kind of feeling and romance is such a good way to explore emotions because it creates such a heightened emotional state Mm -hmm. and I also really really love writing very character focused narratives so I I think having a romance as a strong central plot helps that as well because there's so much character interaction going on and for me as a writer like writing those sort of like writing a romance arc and writing the development of the all of the interpersonal um, plots is definitely my favorite thing to do so my favorite thing to write and my favorite thing to read so yeah I think I always everything I write will probably always have like a very strong romantic focus just because that's one of the things that I really really love as a writer from a craft perspective yeah 
what came first for you? Leta's character and like figuring out who she was or Rowan? How did you work on developing their characters? I think I always had a kind of sort of archetype for Rowan because I knew that I wanted kind of like a the beast that doesn't turn back into the prince kind of vibe um, and that sort of like brooding Byronic type hero love interest because they're always so much fun. But <laughs> what is it about it, the brooding love interest? I don't know. Like in fiction, like I feel like in real life it would be really frustrating. But right, it would be so annoying <laughs> in real life. <laughs> yeah, so it actually took me a lot longer to kind of connect with him on a sort of to get inside his head more than I did with Lada. I think because Letta was the main character and because she was sort of that character type, like a sort of a fierce girl who's starting out in the world with relatively little tangible power, who's feeling very protective of the small connections that she has, like her family, um, was always kind of like a character that I wanted to explore. And I think I was able to tap into a lot of my own feelings of being like a messy teenager with writing her character too. But with Rowan, yeah, it took me kind of a while and lots of revisions to sort of find my way into his head. And there was like always these little moments peeking through and then it just sort of clicked into place where by the end of the book, I really sort of could see him quite clearly and when I went to write his point of views in Forestville his voice came very easily to me and he's actually become one of the characters that I feel the most connection with I think I identify a lot with him and yeah it's but he was definitely the sort of the the one that took a little bit longer to to figure out. Mm -hmm. Well I loved that we got to see his point of view in book two did you know like in at what point did you realize that book two is going to be largely told from his perspective as well I think so when I sold Lake's Edge I sold like a two-book deal and nobody ever really asked me what the second book was about so I'd had like a sort of <laughs> I'd had an idea for a second book which involved like a girl falling in love with like the son of the devil and having to go into the underworld and I showed it to Jill and she's like oh I love it so much but this was very similar to Lake Sedge and you know like and I'm like is there a problem with me just continually writing books about girls falling in love with underworld figures I mean probably <laughs> there is but <laughs> never <laughs> so we were sort of we were retooling like what idea I'd have for a second book and when I started talking to my editor at McMillan I asked her if she'd like to see some of the ideas I had and she said oh we were sort of hoping you would make like such into a duology and it was quite terrifying but at the same time there'd been a few little things that I'd been quite caught on there was a character that I'd had to cut because there wasn't room to include him in the first book and even the romance between letter and the Lord Under or the potential romance there wasn't enough room to explore that in the single volume but knowing that I had two books to expand the story it opened up a lot of things in book one and suddenly like everything just clicked into place so I'm really glad that it ended up like that I think it was always meant to be told as a duology but then 
I had to figure out how to sort of expand the premise to fill a whole book. And because Letter and Rowan are separated, I really wanted to make sure that he had a very strong presence on the page because there's always also this other figure of the Lord Under who is quite an alluring and dominating presence. And I really needed and wanted to give Rowan the chance to sort of hold his own for readers because I didn't want it to be like a love triangle where there's clearly like one better choice or one more appealing choice and then, you know, like the dud. And they I didn't want that to be the case because they were both such wonderful romantic figures that I wanted to explore like a a love triangle where all three of them had this very strong connection so being able to put Rowan onto the page to give him a really strong presence to keep him in the story while the two characters are physically separated I think worked really well for me as a writer. No it really did and I never would have guessed that Lake's Edge was originally written as a standalone and that these two books like that it wasn't planned as a duology because it it works so well and there's so much wonderful setup in book one that then I mean it's like you've set up all these dominoes that then fall naturally into book two so I think that is fascinating yeah I mean I think that's the thing like there was a lot of sort of bits where I been struggling a little bit with how I wanted them to play out and then knowing that I could set it up to be like a long kind of longer game really really helped and so I I think I was before I started editing with my editor that I found out that I was going to extend it into two books so it was really the perfect time to reconceptualize it a lot. The original ending that's now the ending in Forestfall was kind of the way that Lake's Edge ended but I just got a chance to sort of extend everything and give everyone like a whole book's worth of adventures yeah no that was gonna be my next question because it's like well clearly Lake said <laughs> could not have ended like that originally <laughs> yeah I think when I knew that it was going to be a duology as well I I really love so I have such a love-hate relationship with duologies I think around the time that I was writing or editing Lake's Edge there was like a real trend of YA fantasy duologies and some of them it would be like you'd read the whole book and then it'd get to the last chapter and it'd be like oh and now for book two and it made the whole plot of book one feel really redundant and as a reader Mm -hmm. I found that really frustrating so I was very mindful of wanting to write a book that felt like a self-contained story where all of the major plot threads had kind of been resolved enough so that if you read it on its own it could feel like a cliffhangery open-ended standalone if that makes sense yeah and I I really really love books that have very impactful sort of endings and so I wanted to create this like I worked so hard on trying to like see what sort of vision I wanted to have for that final scene, that final chapter. It's definitely one of my favorite parts of Lake Sedge. Just like the way that it really feels like to me, it feels very dreamlike and like you're sort of slipping under into like this long fairy tale kind of sleep where you'll wake up again in book two and what will happen. So yeah, I love love getting the opportunity to do that. Yeah. No, I, I am smitten with the duologies. I love them as a reader. Um, but I know what you're saying, that this this feeling that some of them just kind of feel like book one all over again, like they do have to have something about the two books that really distinguishes 
between them to make it work, to make it feel like you're not just being redundant. Um, yeah. Yeah. But as a reader, I really love the duology format. And now that I've just finished writing my first duology, I feel like all I ever want to write from here on out are duologies because I just love <laughs> that. Exactly what you're talking about, how you can have such an impactful moment at the end of book one, almost like here is this huge doorway and your characters have been walking up the staircase the whole time and they go through the door and like plummet on the other side. Like that's kind of how I feel about it. Like turns out <laughs> nothing is what you thought it was and surprise, here we go into book two. That's kind of how I, I see it. Yeah, I love it so much. I really love how it can also feel like you're reading like two volumes of the same story, depending on how the duology is written. Like, I really liked the idea of it feeling like the same story kind of continuing or like act two of a really mm -hmm. long epic film or something. Yes, definitely. Um, okay, my last question before we move on to our bonus round, I'd love to hear what do you feel has been maybe one of the biggest challenges that you faced in your career so far? And what did you do to overcome that? Um, I feel like I faced like quite a few, really. I mean, my first book came out in the middle of the pandemic. So that was not not an ideal time to be trying to debut as an author. I've I'm on the other side of the world from where like the majority of my readers are and I'd always sort of intended to come to the US and do in-person things and then obviously that wasn't feasible so I think I was definitely forced to like so many people pivot and figure out new ways to do things when the previous sort of methods were closed off so I think for me, it's just been figuring out a way to kind of reach everyone when physically we're all so distant. And for me, a lot of that was being able to engage with readers on social media. I really loved having an Instagram account where that's been kind of like my little sort of creative vibey outlet. And I do sort of pretty self-portraits and arty sort of um not pretty, sorry, that's not quite the right word, Art, artistic self-portraits and um, character sort of collages and just sharing little snippets of my life and my author journey and my books with readers. And it's been a really lovely way for me to engage with people, but also a really lovely creative outlet for me, like a way to share my life in a way that feels creative and inspiring. So mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed being able to sort of connect with readers across the world even though physically I can't be there at yeah. the moment but hopefully that'll change in the future yeah no definitely it's uh, yeah COVID has has made things so different um and I know there's so many authors who have debuted the last few years who just haven't had that experience doing the big book launches and of course not every author gets to tour just period but even if it's not an official tour, just being able to go and have some events and meet booksellers and librarians and readers, it is such a totally different experience than uh, all the the virtual stuff that we've been doing. Yeah, I mean, so. I feel really lucky that I've been able to connect with a lot of wonderful readers and booksellers as well via yeah. the internet. And I've really loved having the opportunity to both do virtual events and also attend them. I mean, I'm having right. a virtual launch for 
Forest Fall with Emily Lloyd-Jones, who's one of my favourite authors. Um, I really love that we get to chat with each other all the way across the world. So I love that there's a, a, a spread of options now, but it's nice that like there's been sort of changes introduced, but also I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to sort of doing in-person things as well. Yeah, definitely. No, it's it's the combination of both would be just spectacular. Okay, are you ready for our bonus round? Sure. Plotter or pantser? I'm a bit of both. Do you want to expand on that at all? Do I want to expand on that? Sorry. That, um, so I, you don't have to. <laughs> I think I was very much a pantser to begin with. And by necessity, I've had to sort of become more of a plotter. I mean, my latest book I pitched on Proposal. So I had to very strenuously plot that out. Um, and I'm sure you have had the same experience of working with Jill when you show her an idea and she comes back with three million very fascinating questions that you'd never considered. So I think <laughs> when I started working on this new project, I had such a strong scaffold that I wouldn't have had if I just started working on it on my own, which I loved. So I think I like to plot a little bit in that I like to have an idea of where I want the story to go. Usually I have sort of a vision for like the midpoint scene and the ending. But then as I'm drafting, often things will change just because it feels like an idea that I've had in the outline doesn't feel right. And then I'll be like, okay, well, let me think about a different alternative. And when I land on something that has the right feel to it, then I'll go with that. So so it's a bit of both. I, I like to go with my gut a lot when I'm writing and revising because I think that's part of the magic of being an author is just listening to like that amorphous kind of feel about what you're doing. Writing in the morning or writing at night? I guess it really depends. So my work days are usually during school hours. Um, so by necessity, I'll usually try to work during the day and I find that when I'm revising or doing sort of copy edits more administrative type things I like working on them during the day I set myself set myself up in my office and I have like a cup of tea and all of my indoor plants are in here because this is the one room in the house that gets the best natural light but when I'm drafting it really depends on the book but the last few things that I've worked on have all really wanted to be written at night so I'll maybe spend the day doing other things like reading or taking photos or answering emails. And then when it gets to the evening time, I'll make like a cup of tea or have a glass of wine and sort of sequester myself away from my family while they're watching TV or doing something else. And I can really lose myself in the drop off. So I like that, how different stories kind of want different things for me mm -hmm. as a writer. Yeah, no, I found that too. And I feel like every time I, feel like, like, okay, I've figured out my daily schedule, my normal rituals, and then you start writing a new book and nothing works anymore. You have to rediscover it every time. <laughs> I know. And like, especially with drafting, like, which is the part of the process that I definitely have the most trouble with getting into the zone where the words really flow out of me and I'm really immersed in the draft. It takes like a while for me to settle into that. And it's not something that I can force as easily as, okay, I have to sit down and edit, you know, yeah. the line co level comments of this chapter. Would you rather be the lady of a fancy manor or the queen of the underworld? 
definitely the queen of the underworld. What is the best writing advice you've ever received? I think that would be, so my first editor that I worked on with Lakeside, she told me to, two things that have always really stuck with me. One was to guard your voice. So when I was revising, she's like, you don't need, like, just don't read anything. Just like trust your voice will come through in the story. And that is something that has value and it's something that should be you know like sort of guarded and preserved don't feel like you need to sort of look at what other people are doing to be influenced if that makes sense I do a lot of reading widely when I'm drafting like I really love reading poetry or really prosy books to kind of get my head in the space but I've started to very intentionally when I'm in the later stages of revision not consume anything especially not in the sort of genre that I'm writing and it does really help to steal my particular voice and vision for the book so I love that mm-hmm. and the other advice she gave me was don't ever hold anything over for a future book because the well the well will refill so if and I used to do that they'd be like oh I really want to include this you know scene romance moment piece of conversation but I want to use that in like this other idea that I have And when I stopped doing that and just kind of like put everything I could into the project I was working on at the time, it made the story so much stronger. And it's really scary to trust that the world will refill because a lot of the time as an author, like, I know that I feel like, what if this is it? What if this is the only book that I can ever write? And like, I'll never be able to have another idea again. And sometimes, especially when I'm finished a deadline or something, I do feel like that because I'm so tired and burned out and drained that I can't conceive of ever having like another idea so but they do come and when I did get the idea for my third book it was really empowering and lovely to know like oh I do have another story in me I do have other stories that I want to tell I don't need to to save things because Mm. I can I can come up with more ideas so I loved her sort of reassuring me that and the idea of like the well will always refill is a really I think a really reassuring thing to remind ourselves as writers yeah, no, I do too. And I, I think that is really excellent advice. What book makes you happy? Um, so I think I have like a few books that I always continually return to to reread. And one of those is The Secret History by Donna Tartt, which I'm rereading again at the moment. It feels like such a good September book. I picked it up at a really impactful time in my life it was like a very random I'd read another one of her books and I was in Amsterdam visiting family and I needed something to read on the plane on on the way back to Australia and I picked it up from a bookstore just because I recognized her name and I was at university at the time as a postgraduate I think I had a lot of kind of aspirations in the similar way that the main character does where he's like my you know my fatal flaw is that I have this longing for the picturesque and I've always felt very much like that for better or worse and I just felt so seen by a lot of like small things in the book and also like as a writer as well her writing style and the craft and the prose it just it's been inspirational in so many different ways and at so many different times in my life and I love revisiting it every now and again and just discovering what new things I take away from the experience of reading the book. 
what are you working on next? So I'm working on a book which hasn't been announced yet. So it's like a secret secret project, which I've been calling Love Bite when I talk about it on social media. Um, I'm very much looking forward to introducing that to the world. Hopefully very soon. It's a standalone gothic romance, which is completely separate to the world of Lake Sedge. So it's new setting, new world, new characters, and it's um, enemies to lovers romance between a monster hunter and the boy that she's, the monstrous boy that she's sworn to kill that she has to reluctantly team up with for reasons. So I'm very much looking forward to being able to share more about it. Awesome. Lastly, where can people find you? So probably the best place to find me would be on Instagram. And my username is lkclipstone. And I also have a website, which is lindellclipstone.com. So yeah, either of those places. Awesome. Lindell, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. It's been so lovely. Readers, be sure to check out both Lake's Edge and its sequel, Forest Fall, which comes out tomorrow. Of course, we encourage you to support your local indie bookstore. But if you don't have a local indie, you can check out our affiliate store, which is at bookshop.org slash shop slash Marissa Meyer. And don't forget to check out our new merchandise on Redbubble. Just search for The Happy Writer. I will be traveling with my family next week, so we will be on a short break. But the week after that, I am still very excited to talk to Jennifer Lynn Barnes for real this time. I know I teased her a couple weeks ago, but we've managed to get the schedules back in order. Uh, And we will be talking about the conclusion to the Inheritance Games trilogy, The Final Gambit, which I loved. If you're enjoying these conversations, please subscribe and follow us on Instagram at Marissa Meyer author and at Happy Writer Podcast. Until next time, stay healthy, stay cozy, and whatever life throws at you today, I hope that now you're feeling a little bit happier.